0: Father, I do pray that you would just bless this time in the study of your word as we get into Isaiah. And Lord, I pray that um, your word uh, is, would just touch our hearts, that we would be attentive. Father, I do ask that as we come here, I know it's evening, it's, it's, um, we've had a long day, maybe a, a long week. But Lord, uh, we want to open our ears and our hearts to what you have to say to us. And, and Lord, these words written uh, 2,500 years ago were written for us. Uh, And they were written for us to be gained and uh, to be admonished and be benefited and blessed by. So we desire to hear uh, your word, to have it touch our hearts, that fruit may be worked out in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Listen, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We're in the book of Isaiah. We have started that journey through Isaiah. So if you'll turn there the chapter 2 of the book of Isaiah. And we have a few extra Bibles. We want you to be able to read along with us. We're going to actually, uh, going at a little quicker pace now, we're going to be covering two, three, four, five chapters, however long uh, that I want to go. Uh, but no, we're going to cover uh, a couple chapters every time that we're in Isaiah and uh, we're going to see some incredible, incredible texts and verses coming up here. It is going to be a tremendous blessing to us. But you recall that as we started the book of Isaiah, starting the, the prophets, um, that section of the Old Testament, uh, I want to just uh, for you to keep in mind that as we go through the prophets, that there's so much for us uh, today to gain from. And, and usually the books of the prophets are largely ignored in Bible study, in our own reading, or they can be in studies in churches. And and there's so much treasure that is here. And one of the things that I want to remind you of is that as we go through the book of Isaiah, and we will continue through the books of the prophet, that there are things that are going to be spoken of here that we can make application for our own lives And also, as we look at it, is here's an indictment against Jerusalem and against Judah, against Israel, that we can make application even for um, our church. We can make application for our nation. I don't believe that our nation, there are some that come along, and as they read Isaiah and the books of the prophets, they try to replace us as being Israel. I don't believe that we are Israel. But I know that there's an overlaying tape, uh, you know, tablet here That we can make application for ourselves to see what happens to an individual, to a family, to a church, to a nation that begins to forsake the Lord. So that in itself is very important for us to to take heed to. But also, as we go through the book of Isaiah, about 30 percent, 35 percent of it is going to be predictive. That is, there's still prophecy that is going to be fulfilled. Even as we go into chapter two, we have seen that is speaking of the reign of Christ, and then it's going to speak about the day of the Lord. And keep in mind in chapter 2, again in verse 2, now it shall come to pass in the latter days. Now when Isaiah has this vision, he is ministering, as we will see in chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, that he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And then in that chapter, we will see that he's called to ministry. He responds to the call of God, who will go for us. And um, and so we see that about 640 B.C. when Uzziah died, that he begins his ministry that would continue for the next 50 years through the reign of Hezekiah. And in his reign, there were good kings or in his ministry, that is, for all those years, there were good kings that reigned and there were bad kings that reign. And he would continue. It is believed historically into the reign of Manasseh. Manasseh was the worst king that Judah had. He reigned for 55 years, started his uh, reign when he was only 12 years old. But it is believed that he would be, uh, Isaiah, sawn in half by Manasseh, even as Hebrews chapter 11 in that Hall of Faith uh, chapter that it talks about how some of uh, the believers and some of the prophets were uh, sawn a thunder. And so it is believed that Isaiah was. So here is Isaiah on this scene, and he begins to indict Uh, As he's inspired by the spirit of God, the the nation of Judah, the southern uh, tribe or the southern tribe of Benjamin and, and Judah, the house of Judah. And also he's going to say the same thing to the house of Israel the uh, 10 northern tribes in the north. And remember at this time, the nation is split and the house of Israel is about ready to be taken off into captivity. But I also want you to keep in mind that at this time, as we read this, that things were p- going pretty well for the house of Israel up north during the reign of Jeroboam the II. They, they were prospering. Uh, it, it was You know, uh, the economy was booming. Things seemed to be good externally, but internally there was that spiritual corruption. Well, the same thing was happening under the reign of Uzziah. Uzziah was a good king and he brought economic prosperity to the house of Judah as well. But there was something terribly wrong and that is that they were full of idol worship and pagan worship and false worship that had corrupted them. And we're gonna see that very clearly. But as we see that this indictment is is given and some of it is going to be prophetic, that is, speaking of, we will see that term for the first time in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. And so we're going to jump ahead and we're going to see what is predictive concerning the day of the Lord. And I think it's an important term for us to understand because that term gets thrown out, especially today. Those who come along and say, well, the world's going to end on September the 23rd. What's the date today? It's after the 23rd. And really, there are people that we are starting to hear the fallout of, you know, how they really believed that that was going to happen. And Revelation chapter 12 was going to be fulfilled. And that's why it's beneficial for us to really see what the scripture says and to understand the timetable that is given to us concerning the day of the Lord and to have the prophetic scenario, a good understanding of it, because a lot of Christians are confused about it. And so we will talk about that. And in this indictment, as he talks about the day of the Lord, Isaiah kind of jumps around a little bit. All of a sudden he's talking about the day of the Lord and then he's talking about the reign of Christ. But it's like Isaiah takes a breather and he says, okay, I've done all this indictment. I've given the word of the Lord uh, towards the nation. I've talked about the day of the Lord. But then he gives that message of hope when the Lord is going to reign. And I want you to keep in mind what verse 2 says. It shall come to pass in the latter days. Listen, these prophecies are going to come to pass. These prophecies that are still predictive will happen, even as Jesus, as we saw in the Olivet Discourse that we just finished, that you remember Jesus said that these things will come to pass, not that they might come to pass, not that, you know, it's a possibility or here's a scenario or here's an allegory. They will come to pass, and Jesus Himself said, "Every dot and tittle is going to be fulfilled." And so, one of the things that that we can be sure of is that the Bible, which is very unique, dares to make predictive, you know, uh, prophecy for the future. Knowing that that those prophecies that were given to us that have already been fulfilled. For example, 109 prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ fulfilled to the letter. Very specific prophecies concerning the birth and life and ministry and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that was all fulfilled by Jesus. The odds of somebody coming along and doing that are out of this world. You can't even calculate it. But Jesus did that. And as we have confidence that Jesus fulfilling those prophecies, proving that he is the Messiah that came, the one who is predicted by the Old Testament prophets, you go through Matthew particularly, and then the Gospel writers, oftentimes they will say that Jesus, when uh, in you know, the Gospel writers in their narrative would say that fulfilled by, and oftentimes quoting Isaiah, showing that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. But if he fulfilled 109 of them, we can have uh, assurance and confidence, at least I do, That the prophecies given about the second coming of Jesus Christ are going to be fulfilled. And the reason that I'm mentioning that is because today, for some reason, a lot of Christians are kind of ambivalent about the return of the Lord. Or they've grown cold concerning that message. And even pastors won't even teach on it. They won't make a stand on it. And I think we miss out so much. We have a blessed hope that is given to us. And a promise of the return of the Lord. And we can be wise in the day in which we are living in. So there's so many benefits of going through the book of Isaiah. And then those wonderful promises that will be given to us. You know, I was reading Robert um, Dick Wilson, who is an incredible scholar. He knew like 45 languages. I mean, who knows 45 languages? He did. And he's such a, a language expert But he was writing about, and some of it was kind of going over my head, about how superior the Bible is and the language and, and, um, you know, the the record of the Bible given to us, Uh, the archaeological finds and historical uh, evidence given lines up with what the Bible has to say. And as I was reading it, just again, giving that assurance to us that the Bible is true. You know, we as Christians, listen, don't ever think that you have to assassinate your brain to be a believer. And I think that is the mindset that is given to some Christians, that you just have this blind faith. We don't have a blind faith. I mean, we can't go into a laboratory, you know, and produce God and say, here's God. It, faith does play into it. But I know for me, when I was a college student getting out of college, wondering what is true. You know, is the Bible true? Looking at the evidence, one of the things that really touched my heart is not only the canon of Scripture, how unique it is written, but the predictive prophecy that is given in the Bible that no other book dares to to. Do. And we're going to see that it's absolutely amazing uh, the prophecy that is there and the prophecy that was fulfilled and then the near prophecy and then the, the far prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. This is what makes Christianity unique and true is that this book gives prophecy and it is a God that tells you and me that it's going to be 100% true. Not 90% or 80%. And every dot and tittle is going to be fulfilled. And it has been so far. So I have great confidence that it's going to come to pass. These things that we're going to read about. Even as we went through verse 4. That he's going to establish his kingdom. There are those who believe that there's going to be no establishment of a kingdom. Amalitius. Uh, and it means no millennium. That the Lord's is just going to come back and usher in a kingdom. We're going to read Many, many verses, sometimes whole chapters are going to focus on the reign of Jesus Christ. Remember this, chapter 2, verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days. And when the Lord says it shall come to pass, it shall come to pass, right? All right. So in this time that he's going to establish his kingdom, the mountain on the Lord's house will be established. Um, We know that as we read last week and finished, For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Mount Zion, when you read that term, is speaking of Jerusalem. And he shall judge, verse 4, between the nations and rebuke many people. Keep in mind that even as Psalm 2 says that he will come and he will rule with a rod of iron. And that righteousness will cover the earth even as waters cover the sea, we will see later on. In Isaiah. But he's going to come and rule and reign from Jerusalem, establish his kingdom, judge the nations. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn of war anymore. And as I mentioned to you last week, that this, this verse is there on a plaque as you enter into the United Nations. And we know that in the meantime, the birth pangs, as Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 21, that there are going to be wars and rumors of war kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, the rumblings of the nation that we will continue to see and will culminate in the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation period. And that's when the Lord is gonna come back and he will rule and reign as he establishes his kingdom and he will uh, rule and reign for a thousand years. It's gonna happen. It shall come to pass in the latter days. But in verse five, oh, house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. I I just wanna remind us, Here is Jacob being called, walk in the light, but you're walking in the darkness, is what they're being told. You're given into deception. Listen, Christian, you and I have been called out of the darkness, as Peter writes, into his marvelous light. And we are privileged and blessed because we have God's word. We have the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in our hearts to empower us to live a life after him. And we have the opportunity to walk in the light And we don't have to walk in the darkness. And here we're going to see how they walked in the darkness and in deception. And we read this as it is for our admonition to know that we don't have to do that. And if we've been brought into the light, why would you want to go back to the darkness? We want to walk after him. And he's going to talk about the benefits that come as we walk in the light. But then he begins to indict them again. For you have forsaken your, verse 6, people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. And so in this uh, indictment here, they, they are filled with that which is false, uh, false worship. Keep in mind, that as we go through this, there was a form of religiousness. Remember chapter one? Chapter one, that they would come and they would, you know, come on the Sabbath. They would bring a sacrifice. They would offer up prayers. They celebrate the feast. But it was all in false worship. There was a form of religiousness, but it was a false religion. They were not close to God. They were not walking in the truth of God. And the Lord says, you weary me. I'm tired of it. You offer up prayers, and I'm not going to hear those prayers. So once again, we see that the land was full of of false pagan religion and and uh, that which was false, verse 7, the land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. Verse 9, people bow down, and each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them, as we continue here. And so uh, they saw their hope and strength in their riches, and their riches and in their might, and in their horses, and in their chariots. They were trusting in those things, and also trusting on the idols that they were worshiping. Again, having that form of religiousness, but the worship of false God was not pleasing to the Lord, obviously. And here they were sincere to humble themselves, to bow down to the idols. And in verse 9, as as we end it therefore do not forgive them. In other words, what is being told, it means God does not accept their false worship. I think it speaks so much of what we see today, even in, uh, uh, sadly, the church today. And I use that term as a general term. There are those that uh, churches and even denominations at one time, a generation ago, that they adhere to the scriptures. They taught the scriptures. But they've gotten so far away from what the word of God says. And so now there's terms that we hear today, a progressive church. We're progressive, kind of like God's word needs to progress and catch up with the culture and the acceptance of that which is false and immorality and, and sin and carnality is spoken of. Oh, they'll pray to God. They'll wear the robes. There's a form of religionness, but denying his power, even as Paul said, would be a characteristics of the last days. Remember Second Timothy chapter three, then in the last days it will be perilous times. There'll be a form of godliness but denying its power. There are those who seem to be religious, but you see, that's not what Christianity is about, is it? It's about relationship. It's about relationship with the true and the living God. So we see this all around us. There's this, don't think that everything was dark and just, it was dark. Don't think that as, you know, you looked at what was taking place in Jerusalem and Judah, that it was just all just ugly and and, and all of that, um, it, it was this form of religiousness and they were, you know, giving sacrifices and they were observing feasts and all of this. But there was a lot of things involved in it that were wrong. And here the Lord is saying that you're doing this and trusting in that, you're trusting in your silver. Again, it was a time that it was prosperous in Judah. Uh, you're trusting in your horses and chariots. You know, David wrote in Psalm 13, I believe some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will call in the name of the Lord. And you see, for us as a church, what I pray is that we don't ever trust in our horses and chariots or what's, you know, our budget is or how many people are coming or in buildings. And you've heard me say this before. Our trust is in the Lord because our strength is in him to keep our eyes on him, keep our focus on him. And you see, I don't want to lose that. It was David at one time that he counted the people. You remember, and Joab, his general, said, why are you counting the people? Uh, and, and David was at that time doing something that uh, was disobedient to the Lord. He wanted to count the people so he can see how strong he was in his kingdom. And he realized that he had sinned against the Lord when it was all done. But you see, he was looking at his strength in the number of people. David, who had a heart after God, and he, he missed it at that time. And you see, it's very easy for us to, to start getting into numbers and start getting into, you know, all the other things that the world looks at that says is success and your strength. But our strength is in the Lord alone, our dependency upon him and, and to look to him for everything. And you see, even as a nation, that's why we need to be praying for our nation. Because we can't trust in our horses and chariots and our might. We need to be a nation and pray for revival. And that's what I'm really praying for. I pray for a great awakening that takes place in our nation with our leaders. Because we need that desperately. And that's the hope of our nation. Not in our horses. Not in our chariots. But calling on the name of the Lord and humbling ourselves before him. And so this is that overlaying tablet here that we can make application even for ourselves and a church and as a nation, as, as they were looking to those things um, for their security, our securities in the Lord. In verse 10, enter into the rock and hide in the dust um, from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of, on man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of man shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. So speaking about the return of the Lord, as Isaiah now is looking forward again, one moment he's talking about the reign of Christ, and now he's going to, in verse 12, use that term that we see first time, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. So he's telling us, again, how pride and arrogance is a big problem here. And it's going to be brought down low. It's going to be done away with in the day of the Lord. Now, in this day of the Lord, we see judgment coming, but it is a period of time to keep in mind the day of the Lord that begins with the tribulation period, extends through that seven-year period, and then the second coming of Jesus Christ, and then the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. That's all the day of the Lord. So when, by the way, you hear those who say that we're in the day of the Lord, we are not in the day of the Lord, okay? Keep that in mind. One of the, the things that you might go over is Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that gives that outline of Daniel's 70 weeks. There's still a, the 70th week of Daniel that needs to be fulfilled. that is called the tribulation period. And listen, it's an extremely important prophecy for us to understand because the 70th week of Daniel that we call the tribulation period begins with the Antichrist coming on the scene. So there are those who will come along, and they'll seem very intelligent, and they'll come with all their models, and, you know, and, and numerology and all of this, and they'll say we're in the day of the Lord, and this is when the Lord's going to come back, and that's what we have been seeing lately. We are not in the day of the Lord. They'll talk about Shemitahs, and they'll talk about blue, you know, blood moons, they'll talk about all these other things, um, and... Uh, They'll quote from Joel chapter 2 that the day of the Lord is a dreadful, terrible time and the moon's going to be dark and all of this. We're not in the day of the Lord. Are we clear on that? The day of the Lord will begin when the Antichrist, Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, comes riding on a white horse, conquering unto conquer. He has a bow, but not an arrow. He's going to be a peacemaker. He's going to come make a covenant. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 with Israel for seven years. And then in the middle of that last week will be the abomination of desolation. We'll talk more about that as we proceed. But just so you know, when everybody, anybody comes along and says we're in the day of the Lord, we are not in the day of the Lord. That is still future. And in that day, that the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And I just want to remind us that as he's talking about here, the You know, the haughtiness of man, the lofty look of man shall be humbled. Uh, The pride of man uh, shall be put down. When we get to chapter 14, we're going to see that Isaiah is going to be talking about the one Lucifer. Who is full of pride. Who said, I will exalt myself. I will be worshiped. I will sit upon the throne. And of course, he would fall and become Satan. Listen, pride is such a terrible, terrible sin. And it is the root to many other sins. When we become prideful, when we become haughty, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And Proverbs tells us, chapter 16, that, that there's going to be a fall. And there's going to be destruction that will take place because of pride and a haughty spirit. And sometimes that pride creeps in in a very small way. And I know for me that I have to always be checking, Lord, am I being prideful? Am I being arrogant? Sometimes Sue has to remind me of that. But it's something that we need to take to the Lord because it's such a destructive sin. And I'll tell you guys, particularly, maybe I'm just, but for all of us, that real strength comes by humbling ourselves. To humble ourselves and say, Lord, that I've done wrong. Or, Lord, that my heart hasn't been right. Or to apologize to our spouse. To say I'm sorry to a brother or sister. But it takes real strength to do that. It's going to be pride and arrogance, which is the sign of our culture today. That just brings difficulty and It's bad news if we allow it to grow. And of course, we saw in Proverbs, it talked a lot about pride. Nothing good said about it. Let's continue in verse 13. As the Lord will come back at that time upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up. It's talking about the rulers. This is symbolic language speaking of the rulers. Uh, They will be brought down upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower and upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarsus. It's speaking about, you know, pursuing Riches and, and luxury and pleasure and all of that upon all the beautiful slopes. Again, that speaks of pleasure. The loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Again, that's repeated uh, that we saw in verse 11. But the idols he shall utterly abolish. You see, God's wrath is going to be poured out on prideful men who has rejected God's truth. And one of the things that we will notice is, as the Lord is talking about the futility and, you know, the worthlessness and the foolishness of going after idols, there's not one example that you see in the Bible that those idols help God's people. All they did is brought destruction. There's a lot of things that can be an idol in our life. It's not just a statue that's up on a mantle, you know, in our house or you know, um, whatever it may be or a little shrine that we set up. An idol can be anything that is a priority over your love and devotion and worship and trust to the Lord. Are we doing, you know, an idol becoming riches? We're trusting in, in our banks accounts. You know, those things are a blessing. And here's the thing is he's going to talk about their luxury and all of that. Having things in and of itself is not sin. It's when we pursue them and make them a priority and have a love for those things over the Lord. That's when it becomes sin. And as the root of all kinds of evils, Paul would tell Timothy. And here they were pursuing those things. They were a priority. Those were the idols. And anything that is a priority over our relationship and devotion and love to the Lord ends up becoming an idol. So we need to be careful because there's a lot of things that can become an idol. In verse 19, they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth. And from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty, when he arises to shake the earth mightily, in that day a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold. They're not going to help him in that day, which they made each for himself to worship, to the moles and bats and to the cliffs of the rocks and to the crags of the rugged rocks and from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. You know, we are to be ones, listen, that we are fearing God. Even as verse 22 says, severe yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostril for of what account is he? And I'm thinking, what does that mean? What's he talking about? In other words, they... We're fearing their, you know, pleasures and gold and idols and and all of that over God and losing them or giving them up. We need to fear God over the things of the world and over man and have a reverence for him. But in this, as we read about in the day of the Lord, does it remind you as, as they're hiding themselves in the cliffs of the you know, rocks and in the caves and all of that, uh, terrified? It reminds me of Revelation chapter 6, that when this is going to culminate in the day of the Lord and the tribulation period, the sixth seal, let me read it to you. Many of you know it. But it is John that says, "'I looked, and he opened the sixth seal, "'and behold, there was a great earthquake, "'and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, "'and the moon became like blood. "'And the stars of heaven fell to the earth "'as fig tree drops its late figs "'when it is shaken by a mighty wind. "'Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of his place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. That's verses 12 through 16 of Revelation chapter 6 when there's going to be this cosmic disturbance. There's going to be geologic upheaval and the sky's going to roll up like a scroll, and all of a sudden in all this disturbance, man is hiding in the rocks and in the caves saying, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb that sits on the throne. Isn't that amazing? The hardness of man's heart. Listen, the things of this world are going to go away. So we need to prioritize eternity in the Lord. And that's what Isaiah is showing us. Those things that that were your security that you thought were, or that you worshiped, we're a priority over the Lord that took you away from true worship from the Lord. The judgment's going to come. And it's going to do you in. It's going to wipe you out. And that's why I think that every day that we need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything in my life and in my heart that's becoming a priority? Taking, you know, priority over my devotion and love for you. And those things weigh on us and they pull on us, don't they? For all of us. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy life. I think being a Christian, that we enjoy life more than non-believers because we have the joy of the Lord. But the joy of the Lord comes in fullness by being in his presence, even as David would write in Psalm 16. In your presence is fullness of joy. And even as Jesus would say in John chapter 15, that if you abide in my word and in my love, that you'll have a fullness of joy. So you want to be a joyful person. And I think every single one of us want that, that you make priority the Lord in your heart and in your life. And you'll enjoy those things that you like doing because we all like doing things, don't we? And we love, you know, our families and activities and doing things. doesn't mean we can't do that. But listen, don't let those things become a priority in your life and take your devotion away from the Lord. And as he is the priority, you'll enjoy those things even more and you'll be uh, blessed in every way. So here in chapter three, for behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah and the stock and the store and the whole supply of bread and a whole supply of water as we go into chapter three. Because of their disobedience, turning to idols, God was going to show them that their idols was not helped to them in drought and famine. And of course, as you read those books Historical books that talk about how God would bring famine and he would bring drought and he would bring locusts because he made a covenant with them. He said, if you forsake me, these things will happen. Captivity, all those things. But he would use those things to try to bring the people back to him and, and to call upon him. But they refused to do that. And know that the Lord will chasten us as Christians, even as Hebrews chapter 11 says. Keep in mind that he's motivated for his love for us, even as a father chastens his child. And whenever we start going in that direction where there's compromise or things are coming into our lives that are taking us away from the Lord, do you ever feel a drought? You feel dry. You feel, you know, um, all that going on. It's because the Lord loves you and he desires for you to come back to him. And that's what he was trying to do with the the children of Israel and with Judah here, his people. But I also know that Amos, in his prophecies, when he wrote, that he said that there's going to be famine that's going to come, but it's not going to be of bread, but of the word of God. Listen, if you're not taking in the word of God consistently and constantly, taking in the word of God and allowing it to touch your heart, you're going to have famine spiritually. You're going to dry up spiritually. There's going to be drought. And I think that a lot of us have found that to be true in our own lives. If we go through a period of time where we're ignoring the word of God and we're just listening to the yuck of the world and all of that, we become dry internally and spiritually and our lives begin to dry up. And that's why we need to be refreshed with the water of the word. As Ephesians chapter five tells us, Jesus said to his disciples, you're clean by the words that I give to you. Be Wash with the water of the word, because the dirt of the world gets all over us and gets into our minds, and we need that. And as we do, we're going to be refreshed and renewed uh, as we continue in the word of God. I can't emphasize that enough. Be having your devotions, be reading your Bibles. I know that I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here on Wednesday nights, and you're going through the Old Testament, but I pray that you would have a hunger for the word of God and that you would have a hunger for him and a thirst for him personally that as you continue in the things of the Lord and as you continue drawing close to him and knowing him, don't lose that, folks. Don't lose that because you will go through drought even as they went through drought. And the mighty man, verse 2, and uh, the man of war and the judge and the prophet and the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50, the honorable man, the counselor, the skillful artitian, and the expert enchanter, uh, it will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. Kind of interesting. The people who will be oppressed, everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. The, the child will be insolent towards the elder and the base towards the honorable. So here we see that they were trusting in the strength of men and their idols and their own might. So they thought that they were strong. But because of the rejection of the Lord, uh, we read in those verses four and five that the leadership of the nation is going to be in turmoil. The leaders are going to be inexperienced. Notice here that uh, he goes on and he says that um, every uh, child will be insolent towards the elder. Uh, In other words, there's going to be disrespect towards authority and the base towards the honorable. Um, There's going to be, you know, those the babe shall rule over them. This was literally the babe speaking of a young child, fulfilled with Manasseh. He was 12 years old when he came on the throne. And because of their rejection of the Lord, these inexperienced and terrible, you know, leaders would come. Can you imagine somebody being 12 years old and leading a nation? Can you imagine somebody leading our nation at 12 years old? I don't know. Maybe they can do better. I don't know. But... (laughs) But here is talking about that that's going to take place. And it's really going to be difficulty that's going to come because of that. Because of the inexperience. Because of the immaturity. You know, the Lord desires for us, listen, to be leaders. And what I mean by that, not just a position, but a leader spiritually. He desires for us to be leaders in our homes, Men, he desires for us to be leaders to the people that are linked to us in our lives. And I really believe that the Lord calls us to step forward and to be able to be that blessing of maturity is what I'm speaking of spiritually to others. People really need that. And for you to be able to continue to grow in the things of the Lord, that will be a benefit to others and and a blessing to others as you step into that. But here, isn't it interesting, it says that even the young ones will be disobedient, disrespectful to authority is what we're being told here that's going on in the land. It's interesting. Do you think that we see that today? I think it is a mark of our culture and our society today. Even as Paul, again, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when he's talking about the characteristics of what is going to be in the last days, perilous times, that there are going to be those who are disobedient to parents and stuff. You know, there is a move in our culture to disrespect authority, you know, to disrespect parents. We get that from Hollywood. We get that from the message of culture. And and we need to not fall into that as Christians. You know, I remember when I was a kid, you you know, um, we didn't dare disrespect the teacher. We didn't dare disrespect the parents. Matter of fact, if I was running around in the block getting in trouble, that if one of the neighbors saw me getting in trouble, that they had permission from my parents to, you know, deal with me. And and boy, if I got dealt with by them, then I went home and got dealt with by my parents. Now it seems like, you know, it's like my kid can do nothing wrong. And there's a disrespect for authority. That's one of the things that, that, you know, my dad instilled in me is authority. And you don't disrespect elders and things like that. And you call them Mr. Smith or you call them sir, you know. And if you get in trouble, you know, which I ended up doing sometimes. I think mom put out a flyer with my picture on it to all the neighbors (laughs) saying, you know, if he causes any trouble, you let me know because we're not going to let him get away with that. But today, you know, it's, you see parents, you know, you you see it in the sports. Some of you as parents, you have kids, little kids that are playing soccer, and the parents are yelling at the refs and wanting to get in fights with one another and stuff. It's just ridiculous. And people are angry today and bucking authority and all of this. You know, God does set up authority. And he sets up authority for our benefit. And I think that, Just a general respect for people is being lost. And we don't want to to have those characteristics as Christians. There is authority that comes into our lives, all of our lives. And we want to know that God, as he sets up those authorities to respect that, And we know that there is to be a respect to other people as well. So that was all being lost. In verse 6, And when a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have clothing, you be our ruler, and let these ruins be under your power. And in that day he will protest, saying, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler of the people. So we see here that um, there is... Um, things get so bad that no one wants to be a leader. And God wants them to trust in him and turn back to him. Again, there's drought and famine in the land. And in their own wisdom, they cannot solve their problems. It only gets worse. Don't we see that today? Uh, some of the, you know, the, uh, the trends and um, the ways and the philosophy of the world. I look at it and I think how crazy the way that people are thinking. But again, that happens when we get away from the truth of God's word and from his way. And here's the thing. Remember Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Many of you know that trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Sometimes the ways of the world or the philosophy of the world are sometimes in our own mind. We think, Lord, this is the way I ought to go and this is what I ought to do or this is what I should be a part of but I know that your word says otherwise. I don't know, you know how it's all going to work out and everything, but I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to lean on you, and I'm going to trust in you to do what's right. And you see, the enemy's going to come along and try to get you focused on you know, what the world says and what everybody's telling you to do, and this is the way and the philosophy, and this is what's going to help you. When we know that it is contrary to what God's word declares to you and to me, we need to take it and put it aside, not lean on our own understanding or our understanding of the world, but the Lord's understanding. And he will direct your paths as you do that. Trust in him and rest in him and his word given to you. But we want to continue on in verse 10. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. I like verse 10 here. To say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat of the fruit of their doings. I think that all of us, as we close here tonight, we're going to stop here at verse 10. But I think that all of us, that we want fruit to be produced in our lives. And fruit comes by abiding in him. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will produce fruit. That fruit will remain. And uh, as we abide in his love and in his word, John chapter 15. But you're going to produce fruit by doing what is right. And as you do what is right, you're going to be refreshed and you're going to be blessed. For they shall eat the fruit of their doings, what it says. Those who say righteous, it shall be well with them. You do what is right. Listen, this is important. You do what is right in the eyes of the Lord and inside of the Lord. It will be well with my soul, even as we sang, amen. Trust in him. Don't get sucked into the weirdness of the world or the deception of the world. You do what is right. And we are called to pursue righteousness. And listen, we all need God's help because there's all kinds of polls, as I mentioned, that is out there. We need to be wise in the scriptures and we need to turn to him and look to him. And as you do, abiding in him and his word and in his love, you're going to produce fruit. And you're going to not only be blessed yourself, but you're going to be a blessing to others. So, Father, we thank you so much from these verses. It seemed like it just went by so quick. Uh, But, Lord, your word is so good. And as we continue journeying through um, the book of Isaiah, there's so much richness and blessing and benefit for us. And, Father, even as we see tonight, we're reminded um, how important it is for us to live for you and to pursue you, to grow in our relationship with you, not to trust in those things that ultimately is going to go away. We thank you for the blessings. We thank you for what we have. But Lord, we know that our security is in you. And Father, I pray for us that are here tonight that, that Lord, that we would always remember that. That in that day, even as Isaiah said, that will come to pass, that you will be exalted. So, Lord, we want to exalt you in our hearts every single day. And we wait for that day. Father, I pray if there's anybody here that's listening on live stream or going to listen to this on the radio later, that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He is real. He is true. He is unique. And we can know that what he said, that he is your salvation and the way, the truth, and the life. Because he died on the cross for you and he rose again. There's a tomb that's empty in Jerusalem. Every other religious leader is still in their tomb. We know that the Bible here, God's word is, is breathed. One author, the Holy Spirit, given these prophecies that we know will come to pass even as the ones before that have incredible prophecy and it is a God that knows the end from the beginning would have these writers write these things down and he knows the end from the beginning for you in your life and he desires for you to call upon him for salvation and forgiveness that's the greatest need he is your salvation Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for you because he loves you to take care of the sin problem. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he was put into a grave and he rose again and he conquered sin and death. So if anybody here, you've never given your life to him, we want to give you that opportunity right now, right where you're sitting, to call upon the name of the Lord. He is your salvation and security. They say, Jesus, I come to you a sinner and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again. You're alive. You're speaking to me. And I open my heart and life to you to be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for dying for me. I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And if anybody tonight prayed that prayer, when we finish here in just a minute, will you come up and I want to pray with you and encourage you. I want to follow up with you. But for all of us, as we leave here, may we be encouraged to just continue to walk closely with you, Lord. Be refreshed and renewed by you. Even as Jesus said, if you thirst, come drink of me, and out of your innermost will flow torrents of living water. We thank you for the living water, and we thank you for the water of the word. And Lord, Just refresh us and renew us every day as we come to you, looking to you. Lord, bless your people as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good, isn't it? Would you please stand?